What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Living Electric. Today, we have two exciting guests with an immense amount of background in the EV industry. We are joined today uh, by Joseph Nagel and Nicholas Johnson of Orange Charger. Thank you guys for joining us today. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Well, before we dive into um, into like our topics today, I know that we're going to talk about a lot of uh, electric vehicle equity and dive further into the products. Do you guys mind giving us like a background story and how Orange Charger started? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to start with that, and then I'll let Joseph take it um, on how he ended up here, because we both have very different, uh, I guess, trajectories into the space. But uh, basically, for me, uh, out of college, I wanted to work on Model Three because it's supposed to democratize electric vehicles by being $35,000. Um, we built it. it. It kind of never really achieved that price tag as it became a luxury <laughs> good, but right. um, it's pretty fun to see it move the rest of the automotive industry. And then I went and started a company uh, that was in a different space altogether doing traffic management, and we got some investors there. And so I got actually kind of bet by one of our investors from that company called Sven, uh, his name's Sven Thiessen, um, who's like a hardcore EV advocate, climate change guy. He, he's got like a partial Nobel Prize for climate change under Al Gore. Um, bet me to drive for six months on my EV on a level one outlet um, because they were trying to figure out how to solve and scale charging for multifamily. And so it was really over a few drinks and a bet uh, that kind of turned into the idea that became Orange Charger. Um, and it was really about how we could scale charging for multifamily, both cost effectively and equitable. It was really a thing they cared about, especially when they were working with uh, Peninsula Clean Energy at the time here in San Mateo County to build out a multifamily charging program that worked better than what was currently offered by the, you know, the other companies in the space. And so for us, it was what built this company was kind of working with Peninsula Clean Energy on pilots um, and understanding what the limitations were at multifamilies explicitly to then build out a product instead of coming to a technology. It was like, we understand the problem we want to solve. We all care about the problem we want to solve. It was like with our backgrounds and um, Sven can't build anything. Um, maybe he can put up a light post. Um, and <laughs> so it was kind of a, well, we need to find something. And he's like, you can build almost anything. Could you build this for me? So it actually started before I even started the company as a consulting project with him and Pensacola Clean Energy to figure out if we could build this even. Um, so we hacked some stuff together and started playing with like what it would take. And uh, now here we are two and a half years later, uh, trying to scale the company into something and, and basically tell people we exist. Right. <laughs> um, and then in that was, you know, kind of reaching out and finding team members. Uh, Joseph found us and I'll kind of let him take it from there because his, his background into the space is actually just as interesting. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nicholas. Uh, yeah, so I actually come from an electric vehicle charging company also. Uh, so Evercharge is where I kind of, learned about the business. Uh, we started out actually making a product pretty pretty similar to what our goal is at Orange Charger, which is to bring electric vehicle charging to the multifamily communities. Uh, and unfortunately, Evercharger didn't really solve that problem. We're still talking about it, you know, seven years later. Uh, and the biggest reason for that was just, you know, costs. Like the, the product that we made was just a little too expensive for most people. I mean, we'll get into that with the EV equity but uh, Nicholas and I connected on LinkedIn. Uh, that's kind of fell me down a, like internet rabbit hole digging into Orange Charger. And I was like, oh, this is actually like a really smart solution in that it can bring uh, some of the really like the, the main key points of owning like a, a charger in a single family home to the multifamily communities where you can just put 
you know, a simple NEMA outlet on the wall and have people charge their uh, vehicles that way, rather than having to bring in these like big elaborate systems that have all these, you know, layers of software and things that might make it seem like it's better, but it's really not because it just drives up the price and makes it so much more unequitable for most people to actually own an EV in the first place. Uh, so that's how I came to came about uh, getting connected with uh, with Nicholson and Orange Charger. Yeah, I usually don't respond to LinkedIn posts. You're, you're, uh, uh, <laughs> usually people trying to sell me NetSuite or something. So it was a really like, oh, this guy. And I looked at his background. I was like, oh, he's at a competitor. What do you want to know? And it turned out he was like, oh, I'm actually looking for like, you know, a new like vertical to kind of work in this space. And it was like a really good synergy. Because uh, in a sense, my skill sets engineering and, and being a founder, but I have no idea how to do any of this like business dev and marketing stuff, <laughs> SEO. Right. So it was like really serendipitous timing that Joseph kind of ended up fitting into a spot we really needed help in. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you want to, before we get into like kind of problems you're solving, do you want to kind of give the audience like a visual of what the orange outlet is and kind of what it looks like? And we'll throw yeah. some pictures up on here too, before we dive into that. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, well, really like we have a long-term vision of where the company will go. Right. Um, so before I actually like jumped ship from my last startup, because that was a pretty big decision. It was like, um, I just spent three and a half years of my life already grinding out, living in a house in Sunnyvale <laughs> with my co-founder. Like, do I want to do this again from the start? Like ground right. zero, pretty much like just me and an idea and some angel investors who I, I respect, but like, am I going to do this again? And it was like, yeah, this seems like the right thing. This is the industry I want to be in. If I can like move the needle here, it's something I directly would want to use this product um, and then charging in general. So to kind of take a step back and like, think about the vision of orange. It's more than just like a product. So we're, we're a platform first and foremost, and we're a right. payment platform first and foremost. Okay. So the products we have right now are called orange outlets. Um, they're really low cost, extremely scalable, easy for an electrician to install. They look like a kind of a standard. Well, they kind of look like a funky outlet. They're not really a standard outlet. They have one plug, <laughs> they take up two gig box and each one is IRT connected so that it can get the data out to a platform. And that's really what we have is the payment platform. So you can do this with a standard charger. Um, and one of the reasons we didn't build a standard charger was realizing that they're expensive for really bad reasons. Um, and two, they're really prone to break like the cables. And so mm. we were looking at like, what are most people charge their electric vehicle on? So like I said, before I jumped ship and made that big decision, I spent like six months doing research. I interviewed uh, so many drivers, 1,800 people actually filled out my surveys over that six months. Wow. Um, I joined every Facebook group and LinkedIn group on EVs and was just like asking everyone and anyone how they charge their car, whether it was multifamily, whether it was at home. And what I found overwhelmingly was the majority of people charge on outlets. They don't actually ever install a level two charger, even if they have wow. a single family home. The most common plug that people plug into is a NEMA 620 or NEMA, um, sorry, 1450. We have a 620. That's okay. our, our outlet that we kind of solved the 240 problem with. But yeah, so those products were really focused on like, how do people charge at single family homes? How do we bring that experience to a multifamily? And what are the benefits of it? So that's that's kind of the product that you think of when you think of our company as a hardware product. And then right. behind that is all the data analytics, APIs to like the energy providers and then the payment platform. So we automatically collect credit card payments each month for the energy someone consumes on our platform. And then we reimburse the property owner, the revenue they generate from having Orange on their property. And then we have software suites to help them manage that, whether that's like a device is down, it needs to be replaced or needs to be rebooted, can all be done through our platform as well as setting up the property, payment structure, time of use, like lots of details. We're working right now on some like 
future software features for demand response and load balancing. And then like long-term for us is like, we will have a level two charger that's really focused on scaling up into our workplace and or like larger apartment complexes that need like a, a mix of a whole solution. So like outlets in the parking garage and some shared chargers within like a, a shared community space. Mm. And then we want to go even bigger than that at some point, but that's kind of a lot of work already. So I'll just leave it there. <laughs> gotcha. You know, I, I do have a, a question for you. When you were doing like all the research on like how uh, consumers charge their vehicles and besides the bet that you had with Sven, if you could like charge on a level one for like six months, did you guys have any like personal experience that kind of tailored your direction for this product in terms uh, of like equity? So kind of like, so I, when I, I moved into an apartment comp, uh, like a fourplex here in Redwood city. And when I was like finding places with my girlfriend to move out of our Sunnyfield startup house, uh, where I charged on a dryer outlet there. So like I fit that build. So like, and I charged at work cause we also had, uh, we worked in a warehouse. So I just drive into the warehouse and plug into like where the <laughs> lathes would you normally plug in. Nice. So I never really had a problem finding a plug for my car, which was really lucky, but other people did. And when I started to move, I was like, well, I need a place to plug in my car. Um, and most landlords were like, nah, don't care. It was like started to become an issue. And actually my landlord is my first customer. He was the first person to do installs of our product. Um, and nice. then he's actually now installed them at uh, more properties that he owns. And so like, it was really clear, like when I was moving in, that kind of affected my decision where to live was like, could I charge? <laughs> um, but then I heard like his problems and you really like, I think the problem that really got to me was like, there's a disconnect. Like there's even a disconnect with like some of my angel investors that are like very EV advocates and like environmentalist and like the real estate world, they're kind of, they don't see eye to eye and they don't communicate on the same terms. And so that's one. And then there's the EV drivers who like have a wide gamut, like especially as we go main street, they don't all care about environmentalism. They care about like, or climate change or all those things that a lot of early EV adopters actually cared about. They care about a fun car. They care about, you know, owning an EV, but they majority were like, people that wanted a different driving experience didn't want to pay for gas they didn't have in lived in a multifamily, didn't have that option and so in that survey i actually have great testimonials i have one woman that i talked to for like five months and we were trying to get an outlet installed at her our property and our landlord just wouldn't let it happen she ended up getting rid of her nissan leaf and it, her responses were really good like public charging didn't work for her um she ran an extension cord out of her second story window across the sidewalk and got like in trouble from the city for like a trip hazard across the sidewalk. Right. Like it was just really hard for her. She, she's like, and I could go to a DC, like DC fast charging once or twice a week and be kind of fine. But she's like, but if it was after late, if I got off work late, I didn't feel comfortable going to those places as a single woman. Right. Or like, I didn't want to spend 35 to 40 minutes with my kids running around in a parking lot while I'm charging. So she's like, I'm just going to get rid of the car. It's too inconvenient. And that was the thing I realized that that was a common story. And I like, working at Tesla, wanting to work, work on cars that people buy and like see the scaling of EVs. Like I generally want to see 80 to 90% of people in my lifetime in an electric vehicle. Like they don't care what powers their car. They buy Toyota Camrys. Like there'll still be people that want to own like 1964 DB4s. I'm one of them. Like I love cars, <laughs> right. but like, I'm not going to drive that every day. It's not a practical car. Like having the ability to drive electric is there. And so like, if I can solve this hurdle, that was a big decision. And talking to the customers, like you said, like understanding what their problems were as well as understanding like interviewing the property owners. And so like something people kind of forget, it's like we're putting codes into place that are forcing property owners now to put charging in. And the charging that's mostly been made has been kind of designed to meet regulatory approval. So like they check check boxes that like are for incentives. And a lot of that's been focused on public charging because 
most of them formed before there were enough vehicles on the road to really understand how people drove vehicles and right. like what they actually did. And it's really overwhelming. It was like 90% of the people that fill out my survey charged at home. And this piece of data really blew me away. So from statistics point of view, out of all the people that are in our statistics database, plus some other statistics databases or kind of databases of charge behavior, only six, like on average, a driver only goes to a public charging station six times per year out of our like, you know, wow. demographic of people that fill out our survey. Wow. And so when you think about that, we're installing charging in the wrong spot. If most of the charging is happening at home, single family home owners are the majority of people who buy EVs right now. Um, one, because of, I think, cost a little bit, but that's changing. And I think that's going to change rapidly. And then the other one is uh, access to electricity. And that's kind of the equitable factor. Like it's an access problem. So our company, in a sense, doesn't sell so much a product. It sells access to electricity and a method to bring that to like as many parking spots as possible. Kind of one of the metrics that I used when I was designing this product um, was um, dollars per power out and uh, dollars per parking spot. So how many parking mm-hmm. spots can you cover per dollar in a sense? It's like, how much does it cost? And then with the panel capacity you have, how many can you cover? And then the other one was like, how much power can we deliver to a car per dollar? And so like, if you're trying to meet those two, they crossed at a very specific point. And that really actually defines the NEMA 620 plug because it's a, an uncommon plug. It's actually a welding plug in the NEMA standard. It's mostly used for welders, but it's the lowest cost to install for the most amount of miles out. And it's still mm-hmm. low enough power that you can install more of them than you could say level two chargers. And so you get the benefit of charge speed from that plug. You get the cost of like a level one outlet with that plug, but you get like, you know, a high benefit to the driver. And so it was like a really good, happy crossing those mediums of like, those were our goals. That's where we ended up. And so that, that dictated the product more than it was us coming up with ideas. It was like, we had these set goals. And, and those goals were defined by talking to customers. Like, what do you actually need? How far do you drive per day? Like one of the questions I asked all of them is what is their actual daily commute? And then um, we actually, so because my last company was in traffic, we had data for people's commutes across the barrier. Um, so I used that data as well to figure out like what are actual traffic driving behaviors for? So th- this is actually a funny story, but the advisor who took my board seat at my last company her name's Jane McFarland. She's a professor at UC Berkeley. She started at like OnStar before it got acquired by GM. Then she was at Here Maps doing like data analytics for trucking. And then now she does transportation research at Berkeley and teaches PhD students. And so she became my advisor when I was trying to do traffic management software as a startup. I was like, I need an advisor. Um, but she has these beautiful maps um, from all the Here data she has on her wall that are like printed on glass of like heat maps of trip data and like she, she, so she was like a really influential in like me understanding how people actually drive and how many miles they need per day. And so it was really clear to me that like people like buying power, like you go to a, uh, like a charge point website or, and they go like nine times faster than a level one outlet. Well, you really need a nine times faster charger. And the answer really became when looking at the data, no, you don't. It's like, you're paying for something you don't really need. And that was kind of marketing on its side. So yeah, right. I think I hopefully answered your question there clearly. But yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of like, there was so much data involved because it was, it was literally six months of me, like after work, moonlighting this project, sending out surveys on Facebook, trying to figure out like, what is it actually going to take to get people to have access to electricity? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like, at least like, I know myself buying an EV when I was uh, 
renting an apartment without charging. And then I actually like when the pandemic happened, I was charging at work and then we went fully remote and I was like, I don't know where I'm going to charge my car now. <laughs> so I think that's definitely the most like underserved area of EV charging is the home, the home market, especially the multi-unit dwelling market. Yeah, that was the other one. Like we will expand out of that as we scale. Those are right. the places our software will be able to evolve into and that the EV market is only going to grow. Um, but the three things that really focused on this one, one in like, so Sven brought me this data, so I don't know how he got it, but basically I've been trying to get him to give it back to me, uh, this story. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to quote this as a perfect source, but um, in 2019 in San Mateo County, only 9% of all EVs registered were registered to multifamily like addresses. The rest, 91% were registered to single family homes. And so like, okay, you go, well, what's the percentage of multifamily in San Mateo County? What's well, 47%. So like 40%, mm-hmm. 7% of people live here, live in a multifamily of some kind, duplex yeah. up to multi- big, you know, 200 unit apartment complexes. Um, and so like, it was clear that like, there's a disconnect. And what you just said is really true. I actually just got off a call today when I was interviewing someone for a job and uh, they were telling me they just sold their Model 3 um, because they just moved and they don't have charging where they live. And so right. they're like, they moved from California to Austin, which is the big thing. And they moved and they don't have charging. <laughs> so he's like, I can't, I know he's not going to keep the car if I can't charge it at home. Right. Yeah. And work, the workplace one's really interesting um, because I've looked at that. And we, we actually, our product fits at workplace pretty well because one of the problems with installing level two at workplace is again, people go and hog chargers in a sense. They don't, they plug in and then human behavior is lazy or they're busy, whatever you want to call it. Um, they don't remove their car when it's done charging. It just sits in a parking spot and the charger is right. now occupied, but not delivering power, which means one, the property is not generating any more revenue if you're charging per kilowatt hour. Um, and then two, um, it's inconvenient. And so like companies like where I used to work at Tesla, we actually have valet that move all our cars all day. It's like you show up at work really? and you give your car to a valet and they swap out all the engineers' cars in, in Deer Creek <laughs> to like fit them into the charging schedule. They say everybody can like try to get as many cars charged as possible. And then Apple does this too. So when we was looking, I interviewed Apple and then the pandemic hit. And so our sales focus was like, I'm not going after workplace. Like the next two yeah. years, nobody's going to the office. Right. So I was like, <laughs> multifamily it is. Um, but it was designed to kind of figure out where we could fit. And it's about scaling how many parking spots you can cover so that that problem of needing to share chargers kind of disappears. It's like you show up to work, you own an EV, you know you'll be able to find a parking spot. Right, right. Yeah, and this, uh, I think we talked about in our planning, it's California SB 1482, I think is the new like, law or or bill i guess that's being proposed where like you have to have ev spaces in uh in new builds like is that is that also another thing you guys are trying to tackle to kind Um, of make it easier yeah well it kind of comes back to understanding both sides so i should be full transparency here um sven's like leading that as an ev crusader he's oh wow okay um, a group of like 800 people on a slack channel um, that are like signing the bill. It's got a bunch of people. Dang. There's a really cool organization called Rewiring America. It's um, I'm one of the CEOs that we donate some to it. It's uh, about 275 of the top CEOs in, in the world, technically. Wow. Um, so Siemens is in there, and but like wow. that are talking about what it will take to bring our electrical grid up to the next like level. It's it's right. not just for EVs, but just like in general. Yeah, and and a lot of that's more policy than it is technology. So mm. a lot of the reason we have the electrical grid we have today is policy. And Sven right. comes from that world. He worked at PG&E where he actually 
figured out that um, a specific chemical that was being emitted was like 10 times worse than CO2 for greenhouse gases and atmospheric damage. And that's where he got his partial Nobel Prize. And so he's huge in like advocacy. He believes in like actual impact through policy. And I'm a different, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an engineer and, a, and business oriented. So to me, it's like, okay, we have these policies, but how do we make sure we're not just like, in a sense, putting policies in place, but not giving people solutions. And so mm-hmm. on the other side of that is like, the solutions that exist today aren't compelling enough for multifamily properties and they don't work in their business models. So a lot of what we've done over two years is understand the business models of properties. Why do people get into real estate investing? Why are there companies that own 60,000 you know, units and right. what is their goal? And what is how does charging fit into the future of their business model? And so our product line and our platform is really about bringing that this amenity, this transition to sustainable energy into a business model that works for them as well. So it's not so much that you just have to have a bill that forces them to do it. I think that will accelerate it, but I'm also a little apprehensive of the 100% parking spaces. Um, (laughs) But the data that supports this rationale is actually pretty strong. It's that it's 60% cheaper to do it at time of construction than it is to retrofit. And in, in turnover for construction, is slow. Some buildings that we go into are in 1952. Like I have pictures of Edison fuses. I don't know if you guys know what those are, but they look like light bulb fuses and they're not breakers. They're a legit fuse. So you like screw it in and then it burns and they're a complete safety hazard. Like they they shouldn't be in the world today, (laughs) but that's how infrastructure is. And so we're talking about transitioning, let's say 40% of people in the next 10 years to EVs. This is going to be a huge hurdle is that like infrastructure. And so if we can tackle that at new constructions and say, hey, we know that in the next hundred years, we're going to see mostly sustainable transportation, which means some types of electric car, hybrids, electric. We should build a hundred percent and don't have to install it day of. It just means that it's capable of the electrical infrastructure needed to support charging at a hundred percent of its parking spots. And so the way these this legislature looks, it's like it's called make ready versus capable. So right. make ready means that like you can install charging when your time comes if you need it. And then there's some percentage in local codes, like here in Edward City, it's 25% of all new constructions have to have um, capable, meaning they, they have a circuit and a charger ready for someone to plug in. And then they have uh, 30%, so another 5% that are make ready. So that they don't have to have chargers on them, but they have to have the breaker and the capacity and the design of the building to then upgrade later when they need it. And those are continuously evolving. It's a push-pull between like, you know, building codes, building associations, and like advocates. Um, but yeah, SB, um, I think it's 1482 or 11482. I should look it up. 1482, um, I think, is what we have in our notes here. Uh, yeah, that, that bill is looking to require it not by like building code, but by CA law. And so that changes okay, it a bit because gotcha. the building code process is a little more difficult and it's right. nuanced. So it doesn't have to be adopted by every county or like, so the way that like buildings are built is the counties themselves have um, sometimes even like the city level in some cases have a building inspector and they sign off on plans for multifamily. And so they can decide to adopt or not adopt state building codes mm. or they can do what's called reach codes. So San Mateo is, and one of the like, San Mateo and Santa Clara are two of the counties with the highest level of adoption. And then there's LA County in the country. And so they've adopted reach codes that go beyond what the state's requiring. And then 
they can also other counties can choose not to adopt any code from you know the state building code and there's like a trade-off some are required some aren't so this actually makes it law so it's not a it's not whether they adopt it or not it's just required for all new construction right and and that only solves a small sliver of our problem because most places we live are are retrofit problems which are still really (laughs) difficult yeah yeah yeah, I, I was about to say with the sheer amount of like apartment buildings that are already existing versus like the ones that are being built, I could see where that could be a hurdle. Yeah, it's actually really fun because um, a lot of my sales channels recently have been new construction. There was a decision I made like five months ago to try to build out that sales funnel. And the overall response and thought process of the people building these buildings, they're a lot more sophisticated than they were like two and a half years ago when EVs were still kind of like, the way I put it, when people were still saying Tesla was going to fail, EVs weren't going to be it. That wasn't that long ago. Like, right. <laughs> telling telling your parents I'm going to go work at Tesla and then going through the process of knowing if you're going to get be out of a job in six months is always kind of a fun, uh, a joke in a sense, right? Like it's like nobody really thought it was going to happen, then it happened. And now that it's <laughs> it's become so mainstream, I'd say over the last two years, really kind of right before the pandemic hit, 2019 right. Model Three ramped and people they couldn't keep up with demand, and then um, administrations kind of changed and policy was put in place and climate change became a forefront and those things really have pushed the ev revolution further in a sense it's got a revamp and so that's what we're kind of like how do we help bring that there's so many pieces of this puzzle like we can hopefully make one small change in it right and i think that's why like orange is like really pivotal here and i think it goes back to like why i joined the company like coming from a background of like looking into like the multi-unit properties the retrofits are the biggest problem. And that's why it's like so absolutely essential to, to keep our costs low so that installing isn't like a backbreaker. And right. that's like one of the biggest problems with like most other competitors that we have out there is that it just is way too expensive to install in some of these buildings. And typically what happens is that just becomes a cost that they pass on to the residents. Mm. So like in higher end luxury buildings, that's usually not a big problem for those people. But as we talk about like a class B or class C buildings, uh, that does become an issue because that's an expensive, you know, out-of-pocket cost. And basically saying we're denying you access to be able to charge at home because we're going to pass this, you know, massive cost on to you some way. Uh, So that's what makes like Orange a really equitable solution is that we're able to like not only cover these new constructions, but we can easily fit into retrofits as well. Yeah. Is that something you see? Is that is cost generally the number one like reason people won't install charging? Is that number one, or is there oh, yeah. always, or is there like some other stuff on the list as well? Um, <laughs> it's it's variable. Like you said, like new constructions, they're probably more open to it because they're financing the project and, and right. even char- even the like most expensive charging. But the problem is there is scale. They can they mm. there is a point where like it doesn't have a return on investment to them, and they won't install more, or they don't know how much they'll need, and they kind of get gotcha. themselves in a in a a problem. So example, we are quoting a project right now in, um, in San Diego and they have charging already. It's a big apartment mm-hmm. complex. They've had charging. It's a really new apartment complex. They installed charge point. Um, and their problem is they have so many EVs now that they're getting complaints from tenants that are like, Hey, no one's moving their car. Um, <laughs> and so I can't charge. And so like you told me I'd have charging if I moved in here, you need more charging. And they like, well, we, we can keep adding this, but it doesn't really scale. It's like, it's so expensive per person. And they don't, they actually have the data now, which is helps me make my sell. But like if I just, you know, they can look at the dashboard they have from ChargePoint or uh, EverCharge or any of these companies and see like, oh, this person charged for an hour and a half. And the rest of the time their car sat there not charging, just taking up the spot. And right. it's like, they start charging at 10 
um, and they don't, you know, stop charging at one in the morning or at 12, no one's moving their car. And then even right. the person that would want to charge isn't waking up to move their car. So that's yeah. like the yeah. other side is like our solution was how do we bring more, again, that number, how many parking spots can we cover per dollar? Gotcha. And then the other one with price that's really important to understand is for those customers, they have the money. It's not coming out of their direct income. They're still going to get their salary at the corporate. But when you start going to the like majority of multifamily, they're owned by like, like um, a woman that we work with is Carla or like a Susan, right? Like, or like a Bob who owns five or six buildings, investment properties. Right. And, and they themselves are, that's their income, like supplemental income. So if they yeah. were to spend, let's say $20,000 installing charging on that property, that's a, pretty nice vacation that's like a good chunk of their income that year right, <laughs> right. so like that yeah. directly comes out of their pocket and so it has to be in a way compelling for them to say yeah i want to make this investment and i understand it won't get paid back in one two maybe three years but from there i'm, I'm attracting tenants i have an amenity that people want so maybe i can charge more for this property and then we have a business model with orange that shows them how long it'll take to get paid back and how much money mm-hmm. they'll make over a period of time so there's an ROI to it as well. And that's really like understanding our customer. Like to so these right. people, you're buying a property as an investment tool, right? You're not buying it out of the kindness of your heart or <laughs> yeah. for the corporates, it's their job. It's their job to take, it's like an investor. Like I go to an, an, a venture fund and I go, give me money to build a company to go make money. I'm kind of promising at least a 10 X to hundred X return on every dollar I ask for. Right. That's the, that's the agreement we have. When somebody goes into real estate investing, they're agreeing to like 30, 40% year over year growth. Like I want at least 20, 30% return on my dollar each year. Mm. Um, and multifamily sometimes even higher than that. So like where we're seeing a lot of new construction in multifamily is called the Sun Belt because there's a lot of migration over the last two years with COVID to people moving to like Dallas, Austin, Carolinas, Florida. And so there's a ton of new development there. And the reason why is the business model there's the land's cheap, the property's cheap, the rents are going up, like so the return on investment's high. And so that those industries are saying this is where we want to go. And so understanding that customer is how we had to develop our product. It couldn't just be like, we're shoving what the government wants down your throat or what the incentive programs that we can install for free. Like something I really want to point out. When I started this company, ChargePoint is the biggest company in charging. And I looked at their business model. And um their one of the biggest like, you know, like aggregators of incentive funding. So their business is really based off incentive funding. They can install often for free. And there's a bunch of charging companies that have popped up with Biden's new administration that didn't exist nine months ago because they're seeing all this government funding and they have a buddy in government. And these companies I don't see will last because they're gonna their business models are so reliant on incentive funding. And so when I started Orange, I was like, I want to use incentive funding as like gas on a fire. But I also want to make sure that whatever we build sustains and works from both an economic standpoint and a company standpoint without incentives. And that was kind of right. something I really appreciated in working at Tesla. When we were designing Model 3, we never compared it to other electric cars. We compared it to every car on the road. We never said, this only works if you get $7,500 back because it's more expensive than a gas car and people aren't going to buy it if you don't get the incentives. It was like, incentives are kind of actually, and I might get in trouble here, so I have to be careful, but like they have... <laughs> They sometimes damage markets more than they help them. And I think there is definitely some side effects of the way that the government has tried to push charging onto people before there were even cars that has damaged the charging industry, right? It's done more harm than probably good. And some of these chargers that have been installed aren't being utilized to their full potential because we didn't have the data to know where we actually needed them. 
Um, what I am seeing when I talk with agencies like California Energy Commission, who funds a lot of charging installs, is they are seeing this and they're starting to put programs in place for multifamily, which didn't exist a year ago. And some of that actually comes out of the direct work we did with our pilots with Peninsula Clean Energy on the L1 program, level one program for multifamilies here in San Mateo County, is they're taking what Peninsula Clean Energy has done with their program and they're copying and pasting into their programs. They're going, and that's kind of how government works. They're, they're pretty good at like sharing and copying and pasting what works at one agency into another, right. often because another agency is usually underfunded. And so that you have to be careful with how we use government funding and incentives, but like from our standpoint, we exist without them. Like there's a really good compelling reason as a property owner to install orange on your property, even if there's no incentives, uh, they right. just make it sweeter. Basically you go from <laughs> a two to three year, four year payback period to like a day one, your revenue is positive. You're not paying anything off Wow. for installs. And so that's nice, but like even with other charging solutions, that's not always the case. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think the biggest thing, and I think to your point, a lot of this funding was very focused on public charging, and a lot of it was on, like, public level two charging, which I feel like has a very slim, like, situation where it makes sense. <laughs> and I think... Um, I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say it never makes sense. Um, <laughs> okay. The more I'm, research I'm I did, the more I realized it doesn't make sense. So installing, like, a level two charger at a Whole Foods or like a shopping mall is basically saying to someone, I'm expecting you to come here and charge your car. And it's going to take two to three hours to charge your car on average. If you do it every few days and that I don't really care about your time and that I'm kind of forcing you to spend time at these places. You might not actually spend time at, especially that long. I've never spent three hours at a whole foods. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) so if you think about it that way, it, it was kind of illogical. It was basically like, kind of forcing a behavior onto EV drivers right. that wasn't the actual behavior of EV drivers. Because when you look at how EV drivers charge, they don't go to those stations. Those stations are normally empty. Right. Workplace makes sense, a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah. at home, those are the two places where your car spends the most time and where you spend the most time not in your car. Uh, hopefully you're doing productive stuff at work and making <laughs> your company uh, better. And hopefully you're enjoying the time with your family and or leisure activities at home. Right. And I ideally hope you're getting eight hours of sleep. Although a lot of us probably aren't. <laughs> um, <No>. But <laughs> right. the, the kind of retrospect there is that's where we focus on those two spaces. And I just, I, yeah. anything above less than 50 kilowatt hours in a public location. So I do believe in DC vast charging. I think there's a yeah. very good yeah, use case a, for it, yeah. but it's expensive. The business models don't work. So like mm-hmm. you're never going to pay back a $125,000 DC fast charger selling 10 cent kilowatt hours. It's just going to take too long. The, the time right. horizons are well outside of any meaningfully attractive business model. And so yeah. for Tesla, they write it off as a loss. It's like they don't pay taxes on it. So yeah. for them, it's actually good because it helps, you know, it's, it helps sell, the, sell their cars. It's one of the reasons I can't really justify buying anything but a Tesla because I know I can jump in my Tesla and drive pretty much anywhere in the country in Canada and never have to worry about a DC fast charger. There's going to be someone where I can charge my car up in 15 to 20 minutes. And that's because they've invested in it and they work. One of the big complaints in this space is that a lot of those systems from other companies, EVgo, Electrify America, have issues to say the least. um, And they're still trying to solve them. I generally believe they solve them, but their incentives aren't, again, aren't aligned. Those companies or kind of a punishment, some of them, and they're being <laughs> yeah. funded by incentives. So they're not so much focused on drivers, their incentives are focused on checking boxes again for grant funding and incentive programs. Right. And the people making those grants, I hate to say it, don't own EVs yet, a lot of them. So they have no <laughs> idea what an EV right. driver needs because they're not one. Yeah. 
Yeah, Brandon and I run into that all the time is the people without EVs are making EV decisions, which generally <laughs> doesn't lead to the best outcome. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that's that's a fun thing about when you, I have a lot of friends that still work at Tesla, or less and less as the turnover is pretty high. But like um, everybody that worked there used the product to some extent. And we had right. engineering cars. And it, so like it was about how could we make our experience better? And that's kind of how Apple worked too. A lot of people switch between the two. It's like <laughs> as an Apple employee, you get all the Apple products. You live in the Apple ecosystem. For Tesla, you live in the Tesla ecosystem when you drive a mm-hmm. Tesla. And we owned that ecosystem and we were engineers working on that ecosystem. So if it was like an idea, we wanted to make it better, we could. It wasn't out of our reach. And um, a lot of the companies, so like Something about Orange, we're full stack. We design our product, our hardware, our firmware, our backend, our front end, our mobile app, our user experience. Like we own all of it. And I'm really an adamant person about that. I love engineering. But owning all of it means we control end to end the experience and how things happen. And if we want to change something in the future, we have access to it. We don't have to go to like our supplier of our chargers, let's say ABB, and be like, we need this feature because we we want to add it. We can just be like, we're going to add it in our next revision of the product. And we just go to our right. manufacturer and be like, hey, you're going to choose process change and add this in. And being able to do that at Tesla is why we were able to make products that have that kind of user experience because we had end-to-end control. A lot of these companies don't have end-to-end control of their um, products. They're buying mm-hmm. pieces from other companies and putting them together in a final solution. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to use a term. I, I was talking to somebody in the industry for, for my job, um, and they're installing level twos across like the Midwest, and they, they said handshakes. There's too many handshakes between the different parties <laughs> when it comes to like third party, you know, charging networks and stuff like that. And I, I totally agree with what you just said. Like you, you have to control every aspect of it for reliability and that the end user can count on it, that they can count that, you know, rely on it to charge their vehicle. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know, you want it to charge your vehicle yeah it's really i still think as an industry we have a long way to go Mm -hmm, in that space of getting there to a point where like it is so effortless yeah and i think it's you know we need to start planning these things around like making charging not something you actively think about Mm -hmm. i think that's the other thing that nicholas kind of touched on where you're like i'm going to go to the whole foods for two hours every day (laughs) right that never happens and you shouldn't have to like plan your day around where i'm going to charge this vehicle Mm -hmm. it should just be like your cell phone where you're like, I have one in my home. I have maybe one at work. I plug it in. I charge it up. I'm not even really thinking. I just get out of my car, plug it in and walk away. Yeah. That's the way charging should be working where instead we're kind of, it's all backwards where we're trying to plan routes around where the charges are at. That's just like totally nonsensical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let alone doing the research to see if the charger is even working. Like that just adds <laughs> <Yeah>. another layer, <laughs> layer of complexity. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, I wanted to ask, and I'm not going to ask you guys to give like free consulting here or anything like that. So I'll let you gauge this question. But um, so I was wondering, since you guys are so involved with like doing data research with talking to like residents as well as like property managers, can you can you guys provide like one piece of advice for like a resident who might be trying to like um, propose charging on a property, like how they might go by doing that? Because I think that's something Alex and I've been trying to like talk about on our podcast and we haven't gotten there yet. But I would love to know your standpoint or your viewpoint on that. So at Tesla, we used to give people letters that were like pre-written and they'd send to their <laughs> HOA. It's like, here's our pre-written letter. Here's everything. And, and now uh, if you want, you can reach out to us. And we'll, if you're an HOA, we'll give you a packet to help like with your HOA meetings, they're slow, they're hard. We don't really sell a lot into them. Like Joseph can touch on that more of why, but like, that's a really hard one. If you have an HOA, you have to convince to install charging. It's just slow because you have to do these meetings. You have to get sign off. And there's probably some like 
one person in that room that's going to like not vote for it or make your like just because of some spitefulness, like no really good reason. Right. Um, the other side is like if you live in an apartment complex, it's a lot of figuring out who can actually make the decision is often the hardest part. So for us, we found that going uh, executive level for large apartment companies is easier. And there's actually right now like a lot of people who's in jobs at these large corporate apartment owners, the Graystars, the Essex, Avalon Bays of the world, the Prometheus, these guys, they, they have huge portfolios. Um, and they actually have people right now that they're assigned to um, clean energy and charging. So that's been like a really great vertical for us. From somebody who's like a driver on the boots on the ground, um, it's really hard because you might have your property manager, you have their email and that's who you deal with when you signed your lease and you, you know have a problem with your sink. They usually don't have, in a lot of cases, the ability to sign off on installing charging. And so then they have to go a layer up and sometimes that comes back to who owns it like you have your you know small one-time investors you have your medium-sized property investors and you have your corporates and filling that spectrum is what makes it hard because it's really finding the decision makers not trivial um so i've actually found it's been harder to make sales as a driver going up and i felt that same experience when i was trying to find a place to rent like i was really told no you're not gonna let you install charging here even though there is a law that legally requires me to them to allow me to install charging if i pay for it um, they sometimes just make it so hard to get like the sign off to have like an electrician even come and do the work that it, yeah, I legally am required to, I could take them to court, but like it's no one's best interest. And so mm-hmm. it depends. It's really hard. Um, I deal with a, a wide gamut of installs over the last two years from everywhere and we'll be kind of nice here, but there are slumlords in the world. Like there's a reason that term <laughs> exists and they're hard to deal with. They're just like, you know, you got the gamut of people in real estate. It's not, it's not as like, you don't have to have a college degree to be in real estate, right? You, ha- you I deal with people that like are high school dropouts that own 20 properties in the Midwest and they're doing great, like super successful. I deal with people that have like Harvard degrees who manage uh, affordable housing. And like for them, it's about like their nonprofit. And so like you're dealing with like an associate or an intern, like it's such a wide gamut of like mm. the space. So That's I wish I, there was a silver bullet for that question. It would be <laughs> great. Like I want charging where I live. It's like, there isn't really... A good vertical yet the best you yeah. can do is just find the right decision maker where you live um, right. or move <laughs> and at some point nobody's gonna all the ev drivers won't live in the places that don't have charging <laughs> right. I mean, yeah that, that's something we i definitely did deal with like the hoas are such a political animal in and of itself that mm. it is a lot more difficult even when there are laws in place that state like hey you have to let me do this you still have to convince that HOA board to give you the green light because everything is a shared resource in those communities. Uh, the only advice that I could give anybody who, who like is really needing this is to start now. Like, I mean, do your best to get maybe a free quote from somebody like start contacting, you know, the HOA, try to get other people, you know, on board, the more people that you can sort of collectivize around this idea, the better off you're going to be. And then, you know, at the end of the day, like you kind of can rely a little bit on capitalism and say like, well, hey, like, you know, one of my leases up, I'm out of here and I'm going to go live somewhere that actually does provide these services because that's what I want in my living situation. But to Nicholas's point, there isn't a solar bullet and that's kind of the problem. Uh, and, and it's one of the things we deal with at Orange a lot. It's like it's a very, very, very delicate balancing act between like a, like three very unique scenarios. Like the EV drivers themselves need reliable access to affordable charging. That apartment community also needs to make sure that that access is available to everyone. And that's why we see like these problems start to crop up when they do install like 
one charging station and then more EV drivers start to show up, then you have like five, six, seven people trying to utilize one station. There's just not enough hours in the day to, to manage all that. Uh, and so then you start to get the problem where, where you, people have fights in the garage about you're not moving your car and I need to use this because I need to go to work tomorrow. Right. And then on top of all of that, the building owner really needs to be able to like monitor the power, build a residence, and then of course, kind of make money back on their investment. They're, they, they're not running charities, uh, unfortunately. And so they need to see like, okay, well, I need to be able to balance out this new expenditure with additional revenue. So at least I'm coming out a little bit cost neutral. Otherwise, I'm just dumping money into something that's maybe not going to generate much back for me. And so it's working between like all these these different uh, interests that you kind of have to find like a solution that works for everybody. And that's why I really loved the 620 product because it does cover every single one of those needs uh, without like being so crazy unaffordable. Like it's super affordable. It covers everybody's needs. There's very little maintenance costs. Like it is an excellent solution to the multifamily charging problem. I love what I'm hearing here. <laughs> like, I just love how much like research and just preparation you guys have like taken to get right. to this point. Like, it's just, it's like, honestly inspiring because like dealing with like the industry and just seeing the complexities and just kind of like the, the hurdles and complications people just put out there and make, it's just, it's really, really cool to see how much work you guys have put into this. Definitely. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for Nicholas, but I've been doing this for almost seven years now, specifically focused on charging in multifamily properties. And like, it, we still haven't like hit that point where we've, we've 100% solved it, but we're like, we're right there. And I think right. now as EV costs are coming down, like the Bolt is now like super cheap, super affordable. I think it's like $1,500 more than a Camry. Yeah, like, that's, that's incredible. Um, and so now we compare that with, you know, our solution or another solution that is affordable. I haven't seen one out there that really matches us, but maybe there is, uh, and really bring down these costs so that people, you know, of any walk of life, you know, whether you're, you know, the CEO of, of Tesla, Elon Musk, or you're, you know, just a guy who, you know, works a blue collar job, you can afford an EV and you can charge at home and it's just not a problem or an issue for anyone. Right. So we actually kind of want to tie into that a little bit more. So what he just said is actually why I'm so stuck that he found us uh, and tells me <laughs> he's a kind of a, a marker that we might actually be on the right track. Um, I, I have a quote from um, w- one of the advisors I had at my last company was uh, the CTO of Waze. Um, oh, and wow. I got into some in- entrepreneurial advice from him at a few dinners. And he had a really good premise, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And so like, this that was something i like uh, it's easy as an engineer to build something and be like the world needs what i built it, it's a lot harder to be like this is the problem i want to solve i have no idea what the solution is going to be but i'm going to keep hammering at like kind of options try things trial and error and and like joseph just said we're like i feel like we're really really close to solving i call like stage one of multifamilies. i actually stage one mm-hmm. of charging like we're where charging is getting good enough. So like one thing that my background that's different than his is he spent six years in the space at a charging company. I spent uh, like my time designing the car that's one of the best selling cars. So it's like a very different, I, I, I look at all the world and I see like all these cars with parts I designed on them. It's like a really proud thing as an engineer. And then you go, 
well, can I do that again with my next product? And like someday I hope my last company is at every traffic light, right? Like I'll be like, oh, the proud I worked on that. Uh, <laughs> and I hope to see that same thing. Someday I'm going to be like every parking spot has an orange outlet. Like that'd be so cool. Um, but the kind of problem is we're focused on this. And it, I still think we have a lot of work to do as a company. And so like our roadmap isn't, we're, we're at like, we've been in business for two and a half years. We work a lot to like build our engineering. And I'm always looking for great engineers that want to keep helping. And then like, also educating. So like the other side of this is what you guys are doing, which really awesome is educating these customers. Like my right. mom owns an EV because I, I put an order in when the model three <laughs> came out and I like made sure she got a product in a sense. Cause I was like, I'm so proud of this car. You should definitely drive a product. Ever. And she loves the car. She comes from BMWs too, which is, you know, nice BMWs. So it was like, it's cool how much she loves the car. Right. Um, but she lives in a really interesting spot. So California is one of the few states. You guys live in a different state. So I actually want to tie it into like the Delta. You were you're talking about like, is there a silver bullet for this industry? And I think that there's such a wide gamut of how people live across the world and not just like our goal is not just the US, but like let's start here. And even just within the US, there's such a gamut of how people live and how people's behaviors are. California, no one uses their garage. Like it's where you store junk. Um <laughs> <laughs> and so my mom was like, how am I going to charge a car if I never use a garage? So she's like, I leave my car on the street. Um, I joke, I live, I grew up in a community where people have $200,000 Mercedes and Bentleys and they park them on the street and leave all the junk in the garage. Um, <laughs> and, and so with that, like, uh, you, you have to look at like, what is the problem? How do we solve it? And so like coming back to MUDs, one of the focuses like, so coming back to that, like, there isn't a one silver bullet. And so like where we started was here because we felt it was the most underserved. That's really like, for me, it was like right. clear that there weren't people in MUDs having access to charging. Car yeah. prices were going to come down. Working on Model 3 was goal. Seeing battery trends go down. We've seen them spike over the last year as all the automotive companies rushed to buy. And so okay. we can just assume that as they start building their own capacity and companies come to fill that demand, we'll see that price plummet really fast. Um, if you look at like the investments from GM and Volkswagen Group into battery technology and battery factories, we know it's achievable to hit a sub hundred dollars per kilowatt hour. We did it. Um, it's now just putting everything in place in the operations. And lucky for us, humans are really good at chasing economics. So if there's <laughs> money there, people will come and, right. and build products for it and, and solve it. And there's going to be a lot of money in batteries. Yeah, we already see that. So we're seeing that be filled, fail, filled. And so that's the trajectory. Those are the two crossing points, the cost-effective car. And so for me, and, and really kind of, I'll, I'll speak on behalf of Orange because it's like pretty much tied to us now, is that <laughs> that crossing point is like now. And so it was opportunistic in a sense, looking at like, if it, it wouldn't have made sense to do this in 2013. It would have made sense to do this in 2018. It, it was really like, these two things had to cross for this need to happen for the demographic. And so th that is pushing our business. And so the product has to also meet this new demand that didn't exist two years ago. Like really it didn't exist two years ago. There weren't this right. many EVs in apartment complexes. Yeah. I don't know, you guys both drive EVs in a different state and adoption's way different. So like, I can't, I think, what was it? I was driving the other morning to go, um, biking and, and i looked at it was like driving down my street and i looked and it was like a tesla a tesla, a tesla. I was, there's the only cars <laughs> on the road with me were teslas and i was like yeah i definitely live like in the area where teslas are the most common car now right um and that's not to say tesla is the only electric car they're starting to show up i'm seeing id4s now lots of mustangs mm -hmm. i see tons of rivians but then rivians also got their head like an office <laughs> here right. so i don't ever know if they're factory or owners um but 
the, the kind of wave of cars and options are here. And so like, that's the Definitely. crossing point. And so as a property owner talking about compelling reasons of like why you even want charging, whether it's us or someone else, is there's now vehicles that are starting to fill your parking lot and demand for the need more than there was two years ago. Right. And I, I'm, yeah. in, that's us kind of being, you know, at 8% of cars on the road here in Santa Clara <laughs> County. Yeah. Uh, it's not that for where you guys are. So I kind of wanted to loop back and say, you're excited by this. You guys are in the industry as like educating and you're educating a community that's very different than the community I live in. Right. Definitely. So um, I guess I would love to tie into some of the questions there on like what you guys see from your side and, and like how we kind of look at that too. It's not just, it's it's how do you do it for the whole like country and then scale, because right. that's that's going to be important for us to hit the climate goals we want. We're still so far away from the adoption <laughs> yeah. to have an impact on air quality, standard mm-hmm. of life, and climate change like that. We've barely scratched the surface, and it feels like you know six years for him. Tesla's I don't know. So Martin Eberhardt is on our board. He's one of our initial investors. He started Tesla in his garage after right. selling his first company, and like he had this vision, and he's like retired now right like he doesn't work like <laughs> yeah so like he's not working on this vision anymore so like you know pick up and seeing how far can you take this we have so much work to do it's such a daunting problem yeah yeah well alex do you want to start with columbus because i feel like you guys are further ahead than cleveland <laughs> yeah i mean we're doing pretty well because i moved here in 2018 after i graduated and like it was just kind of the start of people realizing that evs were an option so like we were under i think under one percent of new car sales were evs so that, like that 2018 is when tesla started shipping model three in volume right so it mm-hmm. took i mean we're to the point now i think we're at like i think two or three percent so i mean just in those few That's years pretty it's, good. it's it's tripled the amount of people buying new evs which like it doesn't sound like a lot when you look at the percentages but it really is like i can't go on a drive now without seeing another ev which i couldn't say even four years ago so it's definitely come a long way and i think the the education part was huge i don't know if you're familiar with smart columbus but we did like a big ride and drive event uh multiple events throughout columbus so we would go to not me specifically but smart columbus would take evs go to workplaces and run like ride and drive events at workplaces so they went to like all the headquarters where people are working let them take their lunch and go test drive an ev and like that pushed adoption more than anything in the in the state i think um and i don't know if i don't think cleveland had had the (laughs) the same kind of program and i think they're lagging behind a little bit but they're definitely i mean it's it's definitely changing yeah, it, it just it blows my mind. Like we're seeing Tycons, EQSs, Etron GTs. Like I mean, we've there's a few Rivians in Cleveland. Like it's just like I was actually thinking of this before we jumped on, um, you know, a recording uh, back in 2016. I remember we had a record month at our our Cleveland Tesla store. 40 cars delivered in a month and that was that was re- that was a record for us like my boss actually won a lunch with elon because of that like it was it was huge and now literally there's like five model threes just like right in a row here where we live and then like every time we go for a drive we see teslas and evs everywhere the only downside with cleveland is that like we're starting to see we're starting to see growth in terms of like infrastructure but it's not there yet like it is in columbus there's um, there's a bunch of superchargers that are kind of like in a cluster, but then when it comes to like other fast charging stations, they're really spread out. And then you have like sprinkles of level twos. And then 
uh, a lot of the apartment complexes in Cleveland don't even have charging. There's a new um, builder that is starting to put in level two chargers, but that's it. And um, a lot of people rely on that. Like we have friends that drive Polestars and they live in apartments and they don't have charging. So they have to find either street parking that, you know, where there is a level two or they rely on those fast chargers. But um, Cleveland has come a long way since I worked at Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I've noticed some of the apartment complexes and I've got some friends in apartments and they uh, there's usually only like one level two charger at the apartment. So obviously like, as soon as one EV driver lives there, it's full. And then if another, like, obviously it's going to attract more EV drivers and very quickly, like that charger is overutilized because they don't, they don't have enough spaces for all the EVs that are parked there. So, um, I just want to say, I will say one thing that Cleveland has that does that Columbus doesn't is a uh, Rivian showroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cleveland has something going on. That's true. Yeah. That, that's a interesting company with the current price. The Rivians are still, I think, outside of most people's income brackets at a hundred and something thousand dollar truck or an SUV, but they kind of fall in the Range Rover world. But where I think like we see that change really fast. And I do know Rivian's long-term plan is not to have an expensive vehicle. Their goal is to scale to volume and bring out, or or actually their roadmaps about seven vehicles. Um, And the vehicle I'm most interested in from them isn't even being sold to uh, customers. It's their vans because their vans are actually Mm. really low cost and they have to scale for Amazon as a part of their investment. And and that really ties into like the the Model 3 or Tesla's $25,000 EV that was promised when Elon said something or tweeted something. (laughs) You never really know with him these days. But um, the fact that GM, who in honesty is like, they're kind of the father of like, I don't know. Yeah. Father of electric cars. They created the EV one. I don't know if you guys have ever watched who killed the electric car and the revenge of the electric car, two great documentaries on the EV advocates of California. And, um, they've, they invented the skateboard. It's not like Tesla invented any of this. They just engineered and capitalized on it in well, like their engineering was done well. It was the execution, but the ideas were not from like, it wasn't like Elon sat down and said, I'm going to build a skateboard. That already <laughs> right. existed from GM. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool seeing the bolt come in at the price it is coming in at now because they, for a while, you kind of have this toss up. Like they kind of went back and forth with um, executive leadership. And um, there's a there's a famous guy, I think Bob Holtz, if I got that name right, who's like famous in automotive. Like he's he's the automotive guy. Um, he's in that documentary, but he's, he's also famous from outside of that documentary. Like he's some of the most beautiful like gas cars came out of his executive leadership at GM and um, Chrysler. And so he was a part of the Volt project, the Bolt project. And it was really interesting to see like his take on it from being, you know, a petrol head for his whole life. Like he grew up in the time period where, you know, a graffiti and like uh, graffiti cars, it's um, like, Calf, I don't know, blank on the name, but like back in the fifties, basically where the cars were like no seatbelts, no like regulatory. It was like, it was a, it was true freedom for kids back then. It was a different vibe for cars. And then we're kind of seeing, we saw cars die off. Like the next generation doesn't want cars. They want phones and computers and uh, EVs are kind of bringing buy, younger buyers back to it. So almost anybody under the age of, let's say 25, doesn't even think about a gas car. They only think they're going to buy an electric car. Yep. It's pretty It's pretty interesting seeing that transition. And, and also seeing how the market is, like the executive leadership of these companies is taking on. And Bolt's a really good example of that. They know the younger buyers aren't buying $90,000 pickup trucks. Right. They're buying, you know, 
40, 35 to forty thousand dollar cars at best. And so like yep. the bolt for us, especially in the multifamily space where it's usually younger people under the age of like I use the age bracket of kind of forty-four, is the majority of people that live in multifamily, especially dense multifamilies, are usually younger. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's a good thing for us to see. And that's really going to push the rental market. And that kind of leads to like something that we're seeing in this is that they're actually actively looking for solutions, which is like timing is everything in a startup. And right. um, timing is everything in life, to be honest, even a joke. <laughs> uh, the, the reality being like this push that's happening from like, you know, 2018 really on is pushing our ability to to make sales in a sense. And like, our product is fit for what they need. So it's like a good timing. We're, we're seeing developers talk about this in a very different way. And coming back to like what you're doing, education's now there. It's like they know about charging. They know about EVs a lot more than they did three years ago. And so the conversations are very different. It's no longer like, I don't know anything. It's here's what I actually need, which is really helpful, right? It's like, I've tried these five things. They don't really solve my problem. They, they don't really work for my tenants. Coming back to like your friend who's like, that apartment complex installed one level two charger. Who's that good for? One person. And like, they didn't know that. They were probably sold like, oh, people can shuffle through this. Like yeah. two or three of these, right? Like they were sold right. something different. And that comes back to like education versus sales. Like one thing as a company we want to do in our marketing isn't so much shove our solutions down people's throats. I think like we want to represent our brand, but we also want to like help educate. And so like doing podcasts like with this and with you and hearing how your market's different than the market we're used to living in is helpful for us as well. And so it comes back to like, there isn't one size solution that fits all yet. And right. we haven't even really talked about the elephant in the room. The industry kind of keeps ignoring it, but like um, the grid is still a big issue, especially with renewables. Like we talk about electric cars as if they're the only solution to climate change, but we have a whole grid <laughs> right. we have to deal with too. Yep. And yep. we can talk about the math of the grid, but the reality is a lot of these places, especially retrofits, are old infrastructure. And so there's this joke in um, delivery. It's called like the last mile problem. And everybody's like, we're just going to put like, Tesla bots or Ford has robots. They're going to deliver packages to your door when self-driving cars exist. Like we have these grand visions of the future, but what it usually comes out to be is something really pragmatic. Like it Mm -hmm. ends up being, honestly, some dude drives a van to your door. Like we haven't gotten rid of that yet. Who grand visions of Silicon Valley haven't solved that problem yet. Right. Um, Last mile delivery. And that's kind of the same problem we have with EVs is we make more than enough electricity. We just don't make it all at the right times. And we don't have the places for people to plug in. So it's that last mile delivery is where like we as a company see ourselves kind of bridging with really the energy providers as well. So coming back to like EV adoptions pushing it, the other thing that's pushing it is the energy sector itself is being kind of spurred by this change. And so that Mm -hmm. gives us an opportunity to go help them solve these new problems some of which are actually really old problems. They just were ignored for so long because there wasn't interest. It wasn't sexy. There was no funding. Yep. And with EVs, they're kind of this fun thing that can go in the front of a magazine that captivates the public's attention and imagination, which is also helping spur the, the investment in the rest of the infrastructure that needs to be there to support them. Definitely. It kind of goes back my my boss my boss Matt Teske he's the founder of Chargeway he always says that the utilities are now the new fuel providers and and they are yeah they are <laughs> yeah, so it, it definitely is important to you know get them educated and prepared for what they have to you know work with moving forward and I think I've said it like hundreds of times on this podcast you know education is key there there has to be you know 
in a in a simple way for people to understand something needs to be taught and you know alex and i that's that's the exact foundation that we've built our podcast on is that there's questions and let's talk about those questions let's try to answer them yeah right. kind of coming back to our solution because i do want to end on that a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is um I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw our sales pitch out so like one of the yeah, things perfect. we do is we realized this as we kind of kept doing deployments and so a lot of business models are pretty fixed what we've been able to do is because we can lower the capex upfront cost that was really important to us it allows us to be flexible on the back end with business models and because we own the whole stack there aren't other handshakes that you're talking about not so there's less people in a sense taking a cut along the way so we can be really efficient and so like with these choices we've made to really solve the problem i do generally believe we're in a really poised position to kind of scale a really profound solution for multifamily as well as workplace soon and then we'll see where else we go and on the other side of that is we've worked pretty closely with like here in california pg and e is um somebody we work with california energy commission we work with um san diego electric so like we want to keep growing our relationships with energy companies because some they're kind of like you said becoming the gas stations of the future mm -hmm. one thing i just want to point out i don't know if you've ever thought about this but like when I was doing the research, like I was sitting around one day thinking about like, how does fuel get in your gas tank? And it's an operational nightmare. We, we have tanker ships from all over the world that show up to these refineries. And then we have trucks show up that then get filled up that then dump it into a tank at the corner store of your block. So you can pull up and pump it into your car. And somehow this works so efficiently. And that's not the case for, you know, the entire history of automotive. Right. And so EVs kind of live in this gray zone of like when cars first came out, like the original Model T, people that owned them really only were able to drive them if they had access to fuel and would like set up barns with fuel tanks and people would come by every few weeks or months. And it was an expensive endeavor and it wasn't easy. And it wasn't scalable. And it's taken us a long time to get to a point where like gas stations are as effective as they are. And it's an right. operational nightmare that we just kind of gloss over. It's just so convenient. But then you don't only go back to the seventies and there was times where people literally were like, fighting for fuel i think that happened in covid too like i think i saw like yeah. some tiktoks of people filling up trash bags with gasoline but like yep. the operational yep. nightmare of keeping a gas station full isn't trivial and the energy companies are kind of becoming that new infrastructure so from our standpoint as a company we are poised to help them in the long term like our product vision goes into supplying energy for charging as well not just being product on a wall right and like that's where, where i really see like the orange platforms there and then for buildings as well, they have this problem of like last mile delivery. They have this problem of like panel capacity and no one has solved <laughs> right. panel capacity. Yep. Um, I don't want to give away cards here, but we have been working on solutions that will actually allow properties once they've, let's say, installed their outlets as much as they can. And there isn't demand today, right? They've got their 50 outlets at a hundred unit apartment complex. So they've met like, or let's say 40 at a hundred. So they've met 40%. That's not the case. There isn't 40 EV drivers yet. Joseph keeps telling me that they will come. You build it, they will come. And I think he's probably more right. Um, more people will show up faster. So we, we're hoping to see like 40% of an apartment complex with charging fill up in sooner than 10 years. But that's kind of the 10-year trajectory from Bloomberg. So we're using those numbers. And then at that point, if the next, you know, 40 first person shows up and they want an outlet or they want access to electricity, there is no more electricity capable of being delivered in that time period that they're home into their car. And that's the problem that we haven't got to yet. It's the next elephant in the room. Um, but I think that like the holistic approach and our ability to stack all of these things together gives us a, a really interesting solution for property owners. And then kind of like you said, the education, we're here to help. Like 
we don't just sell you a product, we sell you a solution. So most of the installs we do and most of the partnerships we've built to sell our product is around building relationships and educating our customer on one of the reasons, why did we build outlets? That's the question we always get. Why don't you look like a level two charger? Where's the cable? <laughs> um, we have reasons for that too. And one of which is maintenance and like all these things that people don't think about. But like yeah. with our product design, it was really about making something that's easy for a driver to use. Um, they own the mobile adapter. Why pay for it again? Although now Tesla is forcing you to pay right. for it. Um, <laughs> and supply chain shortages are their own thing. But in general, almost everyone who owns an EV owns a mobile adapter. And then yeah. at some point, just like your phone or if you're on a Mac, a bag full of dongles. Like there's these things that kind of come with it that you, just, you accept as an EV driver. And so we looked at that and it was like, okay, take that burden off the property. Because like as an EV driver, I'm willing to accept, you know, $40 in adapters or $200 in adapters. And take the cable that breaks that needs an electrician to come out and fix it and could take weeks right now. Honestly, like I'm trying to schedule electricians and the current market of labor um, is really hard. So they're getting overwhelmed. So you say a cable breaks at your property, like your friend's property, he's relying on that charger. It's going to take probably a week before an electrician can even drive there. And for him to show up here in the barrier, it's 275 minimum for an electrician to show up then parts so wow. a mobile adapter is like $200 off Amazon. It breaks. You just buy a new one, plug it in, <laughs> right? Like it's right. so effortless that like, that's the kind of reason we built an outlet versus standard charger is like looking at all of the things that stack into the products for specifically multifamily. Um, I'm hoping you guys will ask about like something interesting here now. <laughs> I think I haven't thought of, let's see. I'm trying to, I think we got through everything unless there's anything else you wanted to cover. I think in general, it was really cool to meet you guys. Um, I love your passion for electric vehicles and I really appreciate that you're, you, you're the education side of our, like, you know, our business, right? Like as a founder and engineer, I'm focused on like, how do I like literally, how do I build my database today to better manage my customers? Like that's right. where my mind is, but like educating is just as important. And, and uh, I call it the Fitbit problem. It takes like, Fitbit really didn't see sales take off until Apple made the Apple Watch. And it was because like they spent so much money in marketing trying to convince people they needed a health gadget. And it was an education battle, not a tech battle for them. Um, it wasn't until like a big company kind of came in and educated. And we kind of have the benefit of like the big automotive companies are going to help educate the buyer on reasons right. to buy an EV. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is help them solve the problems that evs create basically we need to create the, the gas stations of the future if you can think about it right. and lucky for us and you guys all drive evs so you know <laughs> once you drive an ev you don't ever want to go back because i never think now about like waking up and do i have enough fuel in my tank oh wait yeah of course i do it's set at 80. <laughs> um, it's like you know it's like it removes an errand from your life that you don't yep. really think about but is really nice yeah. to have gone and if you Definitely. Don't have this style of charging. You have that error in your life. So the convenience factor goes away of owning an EV. You're now spending three hours at Whole Foods for no good reason. <laughs> yeah. They have good sushi though. I will say that. They have great <laughs> so, sushi. And, they really do. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, well, you know, Nicholas, thank you so much for the compliments because that's exactly definitely. why Alex and I, you know, started this podcast is to educate and have fun with it and meet people like you guys in the industry who are really pushing this industry forward in a good way. So thank you guys for what you do. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I hopefully we can, you know, help build each other up as this industry matures. Um, yeah, for sure. 
hopefully we can convince more people to buy electric so that that uh, curve grows even faster. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's already happening. Nicholas said it already, but I keep saying if you build it, they'll come. Like, I, I guarantee you put more chargers in places where people actually need to charge, you're going to see like a massive uptick in in uh, EV ownership. Like it, right. it's already happening. Like we see it out here in California. Like it is like really accelerating to hear that it's starting now in like Ohio and Columbus and in Cleveland. Like it's just going to keep going and going. And so the more that we can start to solve these problems before they happen, mm-hmm. like that just makes it even better because then these people who maybe aren't like the early adopter who aren't expecting, Oh, like I'm probably going to have to figure this charging thing out. Like the everyday guy who's going to go in and be like, I don't want to think about this. Like if we can solve those problems before that person buys a vehicle, like that's when this is really going to take off. Definitely. Yeah. Really I, imagine if you had to think about how you're going to fuel your car, like gas stations didn't exist. <laughs> Would you go buy a gas car? Probably right. not. You'd be like, no. like, so we do really have to get to the point for mass adoption. And and there is actually a tipping point um, for air quality, which is, and we can argue climate change forever and EVs don't solve it, but they solve air quality for most of the US because we've de-industrialized the US so much that we don't have as much pollution from like factories. We've we moved our power plants. They're really far away. Um, not in my backyard type of thing. So the main <laughs> thing that we actually as like citizens deal with for pollution every day is tr- it's coming out of tailpipes. And so- for me personally, like the thing that I'm closest to is I like biking. I like, you know, I actually don't drive a lot. Uh, I've never driven a lot. I chose to live two miles away from almost every job I've had. Um, I live like as close so I can ride a skateboard or ride my bike. And then I, for me, a car is an escape to the weekend. It's going to like the new trail, at, you know, mm-hmm. Mammoth or going into the mountains. It's, it's not a daily driver thing. So it's a very different use for me, but for most people, it's their main form of commuting. And it's also the main thing that's polluting the air that they live around, causing like health problems for their kids, causing smog in LA. Like it's like a joke, but the real solution, like everybody's like, they know the problem, but they don't, they, they, now they know a solution. Now they just need to be able to buy into the solution. And so that we're seeing that happen. I'm very confident that in like the next 10 years, we will hit that 40 to 50% of EVs on the road in dense urban areas, especially where we start getting the air quality benefits, which I'm really stoked for. Oh yeah, for right. sure. Cool. Well, before we sign off here, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you or learn more about Orange? Yeah, they can just go to our website at orangecharger.com. Um, and that's probably the best place to reach out to us. We have a forum on there. You can schedule a meeting with any one of us, uh, our sales team, and they're happy to continue educating you on why Orange is the right solution for your property. And if we're not, we'll tell you and point you down the road to someone that might be better. You can also awesome. follow us on Twitter if you just want to reach out and chat. Yeah. Yes, this is definitely. now managing our Twitter. Something I, I never <laughs> yeah, thought. So if of you want to bother me personally, yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, we really appreciate you guys being on. Um, this is like an awesome thing. I feel like a definitely a sector not a lot of people are thinking about or even attacking. So it's awesome to see products like this are out there. So um, that kind of leads to my last question for you two. So like you're in a different sphere of this space, right? So like, what are your most like kind of interesting things that you're thinking about in the EV space as you build content? Like what are the things that are affecting your kind of trajectory for education? And and in a sense, you're a media, like you guys are in media. So like, what is it that it's definitely like, how are you seeing this space evolve for your job? And then like, what are the things that you still think are the biggest real question? Like what are the biggest gaping gaps in the education that you still see like from what you're doing? I, 
think Alex and I are actually doing something really similar, or at least what I've noticed on your TikTok is like um, targeting the misconceptions and the myths that people believe that EVs are. Um, Alex has been on a roll recently on TikTok, like res- <laughs> responding to comments and stuff like that. Um, and, and I actually started an EV misconception series where I'm focusing on data to prove facts to show that people can trust these vehicles and these products. Um, but, uh, Alex, I don't know if you want to touch base on any of the questions you've had to answer. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part. And then what I've seen just overall, cause I've been kind of like a nerd about this stuff since before I graduated, it's gone from that's never going to work for me to, oh, that might work to, I want to buy one, but what's the best car for me? So I think that's the point a lot of people are getting to where it's like, yes, I want an EV, but there's one spec that's missing. It doesn't have quite enough range. So I I want something that's a little bit more, which is a big like, well, do you actually need that much? (laughs) So I think trying to like just make people more realistic about their car buying of like, what do you actually need out of a car? And can an EV meet that? I think that's the biggest thing. More cup holders. Always more cup holders. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. I need 19, like the Subaru Ascent. Yeah. <laughs> All the cup holders. And I know yeah, being I, in Ohio I, too, like we're, we're a very rural area too. So like, I think the, the problems are way different in rural areas than they are in the city. Like most people do live in single family homes. They're driving very long distances to reach even just simple amenities sometimes. So range is an issue. Um, charging can be an issue just for all the things we just talked about with electrical electrical infrastructure out there. So, I mean, all these problems are way different depending on what your, what your environment is like. Yeah. That's, that's really like the point I'm trying to, I think we we're trying to nail home is that there isn't a one size fits all. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So for the people that are out there wanting to learn more, I hope they keep listening to your podcast and, uh, (laughs) for the people that live in multifamilies who want a solution, I hope they reach out to us and we can keep figuring out how to build better and better solutions to all of these problems that are going to arise as we really do transition to hopefully a fully sustainable transportation system. But I actually hope more than that, a fully sustainable energy and transformation system um, for the next generation of TikTokers. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we need to make this a reoccurring guest. Like you guys should be on our show like monthly. (laughs) I don't know if we have time for monthly, but Joseph (laughs) might take you up. I hope he'll take you up on that. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about all sorts of fun stuff. Definitely welcome back on anytime. Well, it was a pleasure. It was great to chat with both of you. Um, I definitely did listen to your first episode on uh, you talking about your background. You're like the the whole like Tesla tattoo and stuff. That was pretty funny. (laughs) I love your guys' excitement here. So uh, we're happy to support any way we can. And I hope the the favor goes both ways. Definitely. Definitely. And thank you for listening to my origin story because that's one of our worst performing episodes. So, to go back and then rewatch. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go delete it now. No, I'm just kidding. No. Well, thank you guys for supporting us because this is what pushes us to keep going. So, thank you. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I think you guys are definitely onto something. There's a, there's so many um, like YouTubers and TikTokers talking about. Actually, I I re- my girlfriend's brother just turned 16 or is about to on july 4th um and he's like a good example of a full millennial you know and he's also a popular kid which is the opposite of me in high school so like (laughs) he uh he's like you know the just a funny kid and he's like talking evs and every youtuber he talks about they all drive ev they all drive a tesla technically it's not even right 
you got like yeah. Mr. Beast, he's got his rap Tesla. So I think like the next generation is really going to be stoked on the work we're doing and laying. And unfortunately, our customers aren't on your TikTok channel. I uh, don't really <laughs> see this, the owner of uh, Irvine Company watching TikTok, but he probably has kids that do or grandkids that do. So, right. Yeah. A good move. Got to start the conversation somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's what matters. <laughs> cool. So again, thanks for being on and we'll, we'll catch everybody on the next episode.